Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are joined per Pelton Cast tradition by our, our most third Pelton brother, our longest running third Pelton brother from the Athletic Seattle, contributor to that, creator of NFL Fast Star, RBSDM.com. You know him. You may or may not love him. You may or may not hate him. Ben Baldwin, welcome back to the pod. Thanks for having me. I, I wasn't sure if I would get invited back on for this Labor Day thing after what was probably the worst performance in Pelton Cast over-unders that has ever happened. So I, I might have the best and I might have the worst. So I I'm I guess I'm the highest variance predictor. That's why that's why you were welcome back. <laughs> you're saying you're the Drew Locke of over-unders. <laughs> Notice Danny yeah. Kelly has not been invited back. <laughs> yeah, he had a very too strong a performance. <laughs> Well, we're going to get to that at the end of this week's pod, but we probably ought to start by talking about the football team that we follow, the Seattle Seahawks, our beloved Seattle Seahawks. You know, we got together after week 18 of the 2021 NFL season and made some predictions about what we thought were going to happen for the offseason and who we thought was going to return. And it's a good time to revisit those predictions and take a look at who had the best of those. Uh, in classic Pelton cast fashion, of course, we did this in percentage chances of returning. So we start with the head coach of the Seahawks, Pete Carroll. Ben thought had a 40% chance of returning. Tristan wow. thought 70%. <laughs> and I was closest to the pin here at 80%. And we all wildly undershot this. Paid way too much attention to the anonymous <laughs> quotes about how nobody knew what Jody Allen was going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, so the, the only question is, is was there any way that we could have known differently and i i, I guess we we just don't know but 40 percent was obviously way too low it, in hindsight it feels like it was always 100 percent. like i don't really remember a time when we thought there was a chance that p carroll wasn't coming back it's what, kind of called a hindsight bias i did but it, there are times when, like, I remember talking about Russell Wilson, right? Like, I remember thinking there is a chance, even though I was Whoa. much more confident that yeah, Russell Wilson. Just wait till we get to Russell Wilson odds. It's <laughs> for some reason that has been the idea that Pete Carroll wouldn't return was completely blocked from my mind, though. I, I really think it was about the black box that is Seahawks ownership because Jody Allen does not give interviews, has never at any point uh, in the management of the club since the the Passy of Paul who also, by the way, didn't do interviews, but at least had like a long track record to draw on and, and create that kind of expectation. And so based on that and the unprecedented lack of success from the Seahawks, it was a question mark, but it very quickly moved into, no, there was no question mark at all. Pete Carroll is coach for life. We'll see. We will see about that. I don't know about coach for life. I mean, that was basically what Brady Henderson told us when we had him on. Uh, I, I think that can change very quickly. We'll, this year is going to test whether Pete Carroll is coach for life. We'll find out a lot this season. John Schneider, GM of the Seahawks. Ben also said 40%. Tristan also said 70%. And I was the only one that gave any chance of a partial regime change, to which I awarded a 5% chance and said 75% chance he was going to be back. So, again... 
we probably wildly undershot the mark. Yep. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I have nothing else to add to this. Move on. We right. know what happened. God. We know it didn't happen. Yes. But something, something there was a choice happen. made. We know who returned and who didn't return. Russell Wilson, quarterback of the Seahawks. Ben said 70% chance of returning. Tristan said 99% chance of returning. <laughs> I said 75%. And uh, this one we did with Mike Sean Dugar. We had him on the week after Ben. So the Pete Carroll, John Schneider question had already been resolved. We didn't ask him that, but we did ask him the other ones. Uh, he said 89% chance. That's so. funny because he was on the Pelton cast a year before that. And he said it was like 99% chance he'll be on the team in 2021 and then like 20% chance in 2022. And then a year later, he thought it was much more certain that Wilson would stay the second year. And then it, it didn't turn out that way. He did call it two years out impressively. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Very much so. But, but with that one, I, I, I think the, the Mike Sean piece is really fascinating because as somebody who's, you know, inside at the organization, he's somebody who's hearing the rumblings that are going on. Obviously this deal was in the works when we had that conversation or at least a deal about Russell Wilson was in the works. I don't think they just, you know, how long after that was I don't think, traded? I don't think a deal was, I mean, he was traded what two months afterwards. I don't think a deal was in the works the idea that there was going to be a choice to be made was in the works. Yes. And and I think the fact that Mike Sean still at that point saw that Russell Wilson was almost overwhelmingly likely to be back is really interesting. And, and I guess shows how closely they kept this secret or whatever within the organization um, from kind of leaking out beyond that. Yeah, I mean, Mike Sean definitely seemed to indicate after the trade happened, he felt like subsequently he had more of an idea it was coming, but uh, not not clearly at this early point of the offseason. So the Seahawks' other long-tenured captain, Bobby Wagner, Ben said 33%. Tristan said 10%. <laughs> Came close to nailing this one. I had 45%, and, and Mike Sean had 80% chance of returning. Wow, Mike Sean. Yeah, so he, I mean, this this was one we had talked about during the regular season last year. Yeah, and, and we sort of had the sense when he went down with an injury toward the end of that season. Just you can look at the cap number and recognize that one way or another the team was going to change. I, I don't think we obviously didn't anticipate the Russell Wilson deal, but I think this was one that you looked at the cap and you kind of recognized Bobby probably wasn't coming back. I mean, he definitely wasn't coming back on the contract he was on. The question was whether they could come to some sort of agreement that would, you know, reduce whether it was an extension that reduced his cap number for next year, but locked him in longer, that sort of thing. And that that clearly did not pass. And it turned out that uh, Bobby Wagner went to a contender in the NFC West. All right, next up, a free agent for the Seahawks cornerback, DJ Reed. Ben, 25% chance of returning. Tristan, 65% chance of returning. Me, farthest off here, 75% chance of returning. Mike Sean had him with a 65% chance of returning, which, again, did not happen. Yeah, the, the Seahawks getting out, outbid for a free agent cornerback, is they have a long record of this now, so I, I don't think this was too surprising. Yeah, especially at this point. Now the track record is longer, so I think I'm going to expect <laughs> it more the next time that they're going to be able to be optimistic that they can draft a starting quarterback in the fifth round. 
hey, this time it might have actually worked out. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, another key free agent for the Seahawks. Left tackle Dwayne Brown. Ben, 60%. Tristan, 65%. Me, 60%. So we were all a very similar ballpark of more likely than not to return. Mike Sean had that at 88%. But uh, obviously something that changed a little bit with the Russell Wilson trade and getting a top 10 pick, which subsequently they used on Charles Cross. And if they hadn't drafted Cross, if the draft had fallen differently, I, it was still very possible that Dwayne Brown could be playing left tackle. But instead, he is with DJ Ray on the Jets. Yeah, I, I would think that if they had kept Russell Wilson or if they hadn't drafted, a, hadn't had a left tackle fall to them, yeah, I would think that it would be very possible. It just didn't work out that way. So I, I don't think the predictions were that misguided in this case. There were sort of two different ways for this offseason to go, right? There yep. was the run it back, mostly chalk offseason, which I think we all kind of expected. You know, somebody like turning over from somebody like Bobby Wagner, if that had been the only change that happened this offseason, we'd say that the team looked mostly similar and we would be thinking a little bit more about Bobby Wagner as a player probably. But like, you know, the offseason just fell with the Russell Wilson trade. It was a totally different offseason, you know? So it was sort of like, we almost could have done predictions one way or another because there is a world where Russell Wilson doesn't get traded and they might've been more willing to spend on, I think they definitely would have resigned Dwayne Brown uh, probably would have been more willing to spend on somebody like DJ Reed just saying like, this is our window right now. We're running it back with this crew and two, three years from now, none of us will be here likely. Uh, and instead they did a hard pivot to a rebuild, which meant that some of the, you know, obviously a player like Dwayne Brown just is not part of their future plans at that point. So uh, I, I think we all missed the mark with what the offseason was going to look like. Uh, and I think at the time, we probably all sort of imagined a mostly chalk offseason. Well, one place we did not all miss the mark was with Rashad Penny, free agent coming off his breakthrough and to the 2021 campaign, declaring Tristan to uh, label him the <laughs> one outlier running back who does matter. That's right. Uh, it's it's RBSDM, not RBDM. <laughs> Uh, fittingly, Ben was the least optimistic about the Seahawks bringing him back at 60%. Tristan was at 80%. I was at 95% on this one. Mike Sean was at 85%. And the Seahawks did re-sign him as an unrestricted free agent. I'm surprised I went even as high as 60%. So I'm, I'm relieved I wasn't even more wrong on this, even though I was the most wrong. <laughs> Now, the other running back in the Seahawks roster, I don't think we have action on this one. I did not score it when we were going back through things. Uh, Chris Carson, uh, obviously health-related, ultimately, that he was not part of the roster this year. Uh, ben had 80%. Tristan had 15%. I had 5%. And Mike Sean had 50%. So I, <laughs> I think that I was thinking more of them releasing him after they re-signed Rashad Penny than him being on the roster, but just sadly unable to continue his career. So... Not not taking any, not that I would ever take a victory lap on a player being forced into in, injury, retirement due to injuries, but not on this prediction it, anyways. Uh, next up, key defensive free agent Al Woods. Ben had 65%, Tristan 50%, I had 75%, and Mike Sean very confident he was going to return 90%, which indeed Woods did on a new contract. Back to the offensive side of the ball with another free agent, Gerald Everett. Uh, ben had 10% chance of returning. <laughs> Tristan had 35% chance. I had 40%. Mike Sean also had 40%. This is another one that obviously was directly impacted by the Russell Wilson trade and the Seahawks getting a starting tight end in Noah Fan, therefore making Everett's return unrealistic. All right. And lastly, 
we did Carlos Dunlap, who was under contract, but the Seahawks had the ability to waive to uh, save some money, a, a modest amount of money, but really kind of turned out to be more of a scheme fit. Ben had 70% chance of returning. Tristan had 80% chance of returning. I had 90%, but lo and behold, they decided that dropping Carlos Dunlap into coverage as a 3-4 outside <laughs> linebacker was not the best use of his skill set which is probably the right call for everyone involved, despite his productivity late in the 2021 season. So you add those all up and score them in terms of distance you, from the accurate projection. add those all up. <laughs> it tur- turns out I was barely ahead of Ben. Tristan was pretty far behind because that 99% for Russell Wilson really <laughs> took a toll as it turned out. It's good we didn't like square the differences because then you would have been in a totally different, you know, state than everyone else. So the Seahawks made the moves they made. They did have the off season. They have an over under of six wins. Uh, <laughs> and now, how are you feeling about this season? Yeah, it's. I haven't been like writing slash tweeting about this that much because. I don't, I don't think Seahawks fans love or like any sports fans love being told that like their team is expected to be bad. Their off season was not great. Like every, everyone saw the reaction to Bill Barnwell's article where he, he said the Seahawks had the worst off season out of 32 NFL teams. And there's all these Seahawks fans saying like, that's crazy. They're building for the future, blah, 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 blah. And like, that's all true. But at the same time, they also took a starting quarterback who is not one of the three best quarterbacks in the league, but is a, has a long track record of very good performance and played poorly when his finger was broken and then looked pretty good afterwards. And they turned that into a, a huge question mark. And like, you can say they they're building for the future. They have draft capital coming next year, but like, how does that set them aside or apart from like the Texans or um, all these other teams, the lions that have been flailing around for a really long time. And they, they've gone from a team that, should expect to make the playoffs, if not be competitors, to um, like looking, watching the rookies and, and hoping for growth. And it's just like a completely different state of the team. So I like, I I'm, I wouldn't have made the moves they made. That that's probably no surprise to anybody listening to this, and like anybody who's been listening to the Pelton Cast. I, I think all of us are not super happy about the direction that the team has taken. But uh, but here we are. So. We'll see how it goes. I guess perhaps the most relevant question right now is, do you want the Seahawks to be terrible? I like, I, yeah. So I, I don't think it's in their best interest to win games this year. I, I think that the ideal season would be like last year's lion season where they play hard, they're competitive in a lot of games. And then at the end, they end up not winning those games. I, I think that's probably Probably the best case scenario, unless unless you're hoping for like an absolute disaster that would overturn the coach and GM and cause everything to change. And, and the question is, how bad of a season would cause that to happen, if that even would happen? And, and if you're not sure that that would happen, then like I, I it would it wouldn't be super fun rooting for like an absolute terrible team like last year's Jaguars or something like that. But yeah, their like their draft curves are real. The best quarterbacks are disproportionately bound at the top of the draft. And yeah, you could point to the Tom Brady's and Russell Wilson's, but there there's a lot of star quarterbacks that were taken in the top five picks or 10 picks of the draft. So 
if you have a shot on that, it's not a guarantee, but it's it's better odds than as you get lower down. So I I I would not. I don't think I'll be watching them watching the games like actively rooting for them to lose unless maybe it's like a close game at the end and they're out of the playoff race. But it it I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world if if they were not good this year. Yeah, I think there's a school of thought. Larry Stone wrote a column about this last week in the Seattle Times that is like, well, actually, it's a bad thing if the Seahawks are, you know, four and thirteen or or five and twelve this season because it'll mean that a lot of stuff that they were hoping worked will work didn't work, and even getting a quarterback at the top of next year's draft wouldn't solve all of those problems, which is true, of course, in terms of 2023. But I just don't think that's got to be the time horizon that we're thinking of now uh just as the mariners timeline is julio rodriguez the seahawks timeline is whoever their next quarterback is because pretty clearly the quarterback of the future is not on the roster right now and even if that quarterback comes in and it takes a while like you've got time to put the other pieces around that player it doesn't have to be all at once and getting that getting the right quarterback is more important than anything else on the roster combined probably yeah, and if, if you're going into the season expecting like the defense to keep you afloat and keep you at 500 or something, that if if you were the Seahawks and going into that with that expectation, then you're probably a bit delusional about the state of your roster. And I guess that wouldn't be inconsistent with what we know about <laughs> running the Seahawks. But I don't I don't think a, a losing season should be viewed as a, a surprise given what's on their on their roster. Like they don't have a quarterback and they have like $50 million in dead money or something. Like it's, it's not reasonable to expect them to be a good team this year. I, I really think cheering for them to lose is not the way that I'm going to start the season. And <laughs> you were talking about the end of the year. And it's like, I, it would be great if the Seahawks were good, right? Like, that's the thing. If Geno Smith, all of a sudden, if we're totally surprised, like we can change our perspective on Geno Smith. I think it's unlikely to happen, but if, all of these different things go the Seahawks way and Geno Smith is the next Ryan Tannehill or whatever. Like that, that'd be an extreme scenario. But if that's the case and the Seahawks are competing for the playoffs, that would be awesome. We would all be very excited about that because they would have a fairly young roster. It would mean that a lot of the young players that they were counting on to play well did play well. And we would be perfectly happy with that outcome. I think it's more about what the most likely outcome is. And it's obviously not that. So I, I'm sort of, I'm going to go in the season hopeful as always. I'm not going to view this as a year where it's like they have no chance of making the playoffs. I think it's an extremely low chance, but we might as well cheer for them until it becomes the point like you were talking about, Ben, where we get to week 10. And if it's like the team is eliminated or if they're starting out one and eight or something like that, then it's better to lose at that point. And that's kind of the reality is to see glimpses you know, you mentioned the the Jaguars of last year. And like right now, we all would trade the Seahawks roster for the Jaguars roster, right? 100, 100 times out of 100, you would, you would swap those two rosters. And it's because the Jaguars were bad for a couple of years. That's the reason that we would do that. And now the Jaguars are looking like, look, if Trevor Lawrence puts it together, they have hope and they have hope for another 15 years or something like that. Whereas for the Seahawks, if they finish 7-10, and 10, and they don't end up with a pick where they can easily get the quarterback that they want. I think this is the best possible year, I will say. This is the best possible year college quarterbacks-wise for the Seahawks to maybe bottom out or whatever because it does look like there are two, maybe three quarterbacks that are going to be drafted in the top 10 picks. Are you getting Jake Hayner in that? Uh, is Stetson Bennett, are we talking about him as an NFL quarterback? Is Stetson Bennett short? 
I just have the assumption that he's short, but that, that may not be true at all. Uh, but you look at CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, players like that, like the players who we're going to be watching for these for this season, thinking to ourselves, that could be the next Seahawks quarterback. I, I think this would be the year to do that and then to sort of reinvigorate the franchise around these young players. At the same time, it's sort of like a, you cheer, you cheer, hope they're competitive until the point where it looks like they're not. And then you hope that the young players are very good and develop and you hope that they end up with a good enough draft pick that they're able to draft the quarterback of the future. And we'd kind of be off. Uh, for the record, Stetson Bennett is the fourth is five foot 11. So, okay. Too short. He's, he is definitely, <laughs> definitely unlikely to be a top 10 pick based on that. I would say never, never has there been a successful short quarterback. Uh, that's that's the good news. We're well aware. We're well aware. Uh, <sighs> I mean, I think the first thing to say is number one, like, even though we don't think the Seahawks have a very good roster, and have one of the weaker rosters in the NFL. Look, it's a 17-game season. You always have a chance to make the playoffs. Football Outsiders gives them a 24% chance of making the playoffs. Is of their, you know, they haven't done the updated end of preseason run, but that's the version in the Football Outsider Almanac that this season. So there's a chance. And I think the other thing is, I, to me, wins and losses are not a very good measure of how well player development has gone and how good the core looks long term. To me, I think of the difference between 2010 and 2011 is pretty instructive here. 2010, they made the playoffs, didn't have a very good record, but it was you know, with a veteran quarterback and Matt Hasselbeck starting most of the games, the players who were playing well were primarily veterans. I don't think it necessarily left you like feeling super great about the young core of the team, including the Seahawks, who then decided to let Matt Hasselbeck go and try, you know, Tavares Jackson and uh, give Charlie Whitehurst an extended look and figure things out there in 2011. And then 2011 was very different where, you know, the record was pretty similar, but it was primarily driven by the success of the Legion of the early Legion of Boom on defense, uh, Marshawn Lynch coming on into his own as a running back. It was clear that these are pieces that could be in place long term. So I think, you know, it, it's a very it's a big difference if hypothetically Drew Locke gets the starting job at some point and actually looks tremendous and is the reason the Seahawks are in the playoff mix, as opposed to Geno having a good season and a fluky point different, you know, outperforming their point differential, things like that. You desperately this year want to underperform your point differential. For the record, Mel Kuyper has four quarterbacks in the uh, top 10 for next season. He's got Stroud and Young and then Kentucky quarterback Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, who had a monster game against Utah yesterday. So uh, it, it it would be one of those seasons where, look, if there are four quarterbacks in the top 10, uh, having your pick of those four quarterbacks, being able to turn over the franchise to somebody like that could feel very good, especially if these other pieces do develop. Also, I got to change the joke now. The joke is not Hayner. It's Michael Penix Jr. Where is he going? To the there we go. Down? Come on. Stetson Bennett also, I think, is quite old. I think he's 24 right now. But I, I guess I, I wanted to ask you, Ben, about this because I do think a lot of people are drawing comparisons right now between this current Seahawks team and the 2011 Seahawks team. And I've talked on the Pelton cast about how I don't, I don't think it's particularly fair to just assume that because this happened one time, that this front office can do it again. But do you think that is something that we should be having a conversation about? So I understand why fans are doing this because like you want to have some kind of hope to cling to. And you're saying this is the same regime that already did it once. So they are setting themselves up to do it again. So they're, they're turning through the roster. They're getting higher draft takes and we haven't seen them have high draft picks since they drafted Earl Thomas and Russell Kung and like all these arguments, but 
I agree that it's not it's not really a fair expectation because if the Seahawks had like these magic drafting powers where they could draft Hall of Famers in the mid rounds, then like why haven't why haven't they been doing this in the last ten years or whatever since since their drafting is struggling? And it's not like it just wouldn't have been fair. True, they're like hitting home runs. They just don't want to do it. Yeah, it, it's not like they built that team with only premium draft picks. Like it was Thomas and Okung, and then they found like Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor, or Russell Wilson, Bobby Waller, like all these. They had picks where they picked those great players earlier. They've had those picks in the last eight years or ten years or however long this um, drought has gone on. They they just haven't hit on those picks. So if if you're trying to talk yourself into this, the Seahawks recreating this, then then I, I think it's kind of hard to believe that like they had some sort of magic drafting and lost it for a really long time. And now they're going to get it back again. Now that the team has lower expectations or something like that. Like it it all, it all just seems like a a lot of randomness and a lot of recently, like using draft capital in suboptimal ways that has been covered extensively here. I, I don't agree that I think you can redo 2011, but there are a lot of young players to be excited about on the roster, at least a handful of young players, you have to be looking at the season feeling like you're probably set at both tackle positions for at least two players that look like starters. And I think we can be excited about Tariq Woolen at this point. Uh, some of the edge, like young edge rushers that they have look very good. There are places to be excited about the roster and to think that they can turn it around a little bit. Um, you know, the roster is definitely significantly older than it was in 2011. Like both of the safeties are known commodities as players it it would be a little bit less of a like straight surprise than the 2011 team was this team is better talent wise entering the season than that 2011 team was i think uh you you know there was no dk metcalf tyler lockett no you know jamal adams quandre Diggs on that roster right there's some golden tate doug baldwin like that's not terrible right i just don't think we knew we didn't know who doug baldwin was yet I yeah, think. that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, you certainly would have thought of him as a top yeah. 10 wide receiver like DK Metcalf. And the same, like, point. obviously those players, long-term talent. I'm, I'm talking the moment heading into the season. Like, after yep. that, yep. okay, there's Richard Sherman. Like, all these players became Hall of Famers and potential Hall of Famers or whatever who were on that roster. But at that moment, we were looking at it where, I mean, we thought they were going to be the worst team in the NFL heading into that year. Were our expectations that low? I, I wonder what the over-under was for the 2011 Seahawks. Let me take a look at that. The like DVOA and point differential and for the 2010 team were really terrible, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if expectations were low for 2011. Yeah, that, that aspect of it was definitely true. I, I do think, I will say, to push back a little bit, like I, I'm excited about these players, but I also think, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, trading rosters with Jacksonville, like every team in the league is feeling good about their young players after the preseason. That's kind of the way the preseason is designed to work. Like if your young players play well, then it's hugely meaningful. If they don't play well, well it's completely <laughs> irrelevant. Like then you got to play the games. Look, I'm out. just trying to not be so negative. Fair. Everybody already Fair. hates me after last week. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're not going to change that. <laughs> the overrunner for the Seahawks going into the 2011 seasons. season. Six wins. Wow. They didn't even really like obliterate that over They they were over, but it was by one game. Yes, yes. So, do we want to talk about the the Seahawks unit by unit a little bit and go through the roster that way? I 
I guess the first question. <laughs> Me and Ben with were is, both like, "No, we don't." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the first, the first that, question <laughs> is: Do the Seahawks have the the? They don't have the worst quarterback play in the NFL. I think I'm I'm pretty confident that there will be worse quarterback play in the NFL from possibly multiple of the other 32 teams. Do they have the quarterback room you would want the least going forward in the NFL? Because those other teams that you would expect to be behind them are like, you know, the Jets with Zach Wilson and, you know, maybe the Bears with uh, Justin Fields. Like they're, they're teams with young players, whereas the Seahawks have Geno Smith, who is entering his 10th season in the NFL and, you know, is pretty proven as a low upside player. And Drew Locke, who even though he's like relatively cast is like the high upside player, he still played a lot of football compared to these second year guys who were drafted in the top 10. So would you trade the Seahawks quarterback? Was there anyone in the league that you would trade the Seahawks quarterback room uh, prefer to, to have to them? I'm a little biased here because I think the only possible answer is the Texans, but I, I can't bring myself to say that <laughs> Davis Mills, than the Seahawks quarterbacks. <laughs> but I think that's, it's like the Seahawks and Texans are probably the discussion. here. <laughs> I, I think it's a little unfair to Gino. Like, like you said, like, I think it is very unlikely that Gino will have the worst pick what you want DVOA QBR or whatever, right. Of any starting quarterback in the NFL. I think that's there's a very low likelihood of that being the case. It, it's a bit of a of a catch twenty two because if you have one of those young quarterbacks, you feel compelled to start one of those young quarterbacks, and you may also feel compelled to start one of those young quarterbacks next year. If Zach Wilson isn't good this year for the Jets, the chances of Zach Wilson ever being good are probably fairly low, right? Same with Justin yep. Fields, and they're still going to go into next year. I think the Seahawks are. Actually, this is I, not to offer too much hope here. I think the Seahawks are not in that bad of a situation long-term quarterback-wise because they have not invested anything at quarterback, right? They don't. They have got Geno Smith and Drew Locke. But if the Seahawks have a quarterback that they want to bring in, whether it's a free agent, whether it's a trade, whether it's a rookie or whatever, they will quickly forget about Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Like, it's not going to be a concern in any way. I think the Texans probably are in a similar position with Davis Mills, where I would yep. probably, I would probably prefer that over. Look, maybe Zach Wilson will be awesome, but we just haven't seen it yet. So it's a little bit riskier to be in that place of you've got your quote unquote franchise quarterback. You just haven't ever seen him play well, basically in his entire career. Uh, so there's some quarterbacks like Trevor Lawrence that I'm willing to bet are just going to be good this year, even though they weren't last year. Fields and Zach Wilson, I'd be a little bit more nervous about. The chances of the Seahawks drafting a quarterback in the top 10 next year are significantly higher than the chances of the Jets or the Bears drafting a quarterback in the top 10 next year. So that, that, would, be, that would be my biggest concern. Or that's why I don't think the Seahawks have the worst quarterback situation in the NFL. Your pivot to positivity continues to go extremely well, Justin. I'm forcing you into this position of being optimistic about the Seahawks situation. I think it's a fair point. I, I also want to say, like you started to say unfair to Geno Smith. I, I think that like to the extent that people wanted to see Drew Locke win the quarterback competition and were disappointed that Geno Smith and it's not anything negative about Geno Smith. It's just that Geno Smith doesn't fit the situation of everything we've just talked about about the Seahawks, where, again, the reason to be excited about them this season are if young players play well, not if old players play well. Yeah, and I think it's also like Drew Locke is 
not completely completely unknown. He's he's played NFL games and looked badly in them, but when trading for him, you can kind of talk yourself into this is a a high variance risky bet, and if it pays off, then he'll be the one that wins the starting job. is is exciting to watch this year, and if he doesn't pay off, then we will be watching Geno Smith this year. So, and, and that's what ended up happening. So, like, it, it's not that anything against Geno Smith in particular. It's just that. Like one of the ways in which this season could have been more fun would be that Drew Locke was secretly good and was this return from the Russell Wilson trade and, and would make the season more watchable. And unfortunately that didn't happen. And, and now we have to accept that and get ready for Geno Smith. <laughs> didn't happen yet. Do you have an over <laughs> under on when Drew Locke starts a game, not due to injury? Oh, not, not due to injury. Uh, because our bet, if you'll recall, is whether it happens in the month of September, which Tristan says yes, I say no. Oh, I, I don't think September, no. <laughs> but I, I was also pretty sure Drew Locke was going to be the starter. So <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing about Drew Locke that makes that gamble like so much less valuable is also that he's just an unrestricted free agent after this year. So even if it does work out, the Seahawks have to pay him, although maybe you're in a situation like, and we'll pivot to this in a second here, Rashad Penny where there's enough accumulated doubts that even a handful of weeks of superhuman running back play, not enough to create a huge market for him in free agency. The Seahawks able to bring him back in a one-year deal. Can Rashad Penny keep it up? Wait, I wasn't done on the quarterbacks. Do you oh, agree okay. with this point, Ben, about what I was saying about having the, the, the shelf basically being bare long-term as probably being better? Than, I like. I would rather, in this moment, I would prefer to have the Seahawks quarterbacks than the 49ers quarterbacks. Long term. Ooh, that that's an interesting one. I yeah, it, it's hard because we we Lance has already gone through a year of his rookie contract and we haven't seen anything from him. Yeah, I, I, I think it's really hard. I, I, I would probably take Lance just because it seemed like the league was so high on him and it wasn't just the 49ers and like draft draft capital prior still tell us something, even if he couldn't beat out Jimmy G. But I, I don't think it's an obvious answer. So I don't think it's crazy to raise the question. Also, the 49ers could just keep Jimmy Garoppolo and would have a decent quarterback <laughs> situation. I'm still don't quite understand why they're so eager. Well, because they gave up a bunch to get the number three pick. They, but... That's why it's a bad situation. If they go back to Jimmy Garoppolo, there's tons of guaranteed money to Trey Lance and all the draft capital that they invested in Trey Lance. They, they just handled the situation really poorly. Yeah. I still see some, there are plenty of outs for them. I think the like the 49ers have been burned by their starting quarterback getting hurt and not having a backup and losing seasons because of it. And that like that frustration with Jimmy G was part, probably part of the reason why they did the Lance trade in the first place. So I don't think it's crazy for them to, to want the insurance of if Lance get, gets hurt or something goes wrong with him, then we're not throwing away a whole other season. We still have Jimmy G on the roster. But if 49ers fans start fighting amongst themselves about who should be the starting quarterback, I I, I will absolutely be grabbing popcorn and watching it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, anything else on quarterbacks? Okay, Rashad Penny. <laughs> ben, does Rashad Penny matter? I feel like we had this argument. We did, and, yes. <laughs> and Tristan since pivoted to Rashad Penny matters if Russell Wilson is his quarterback. <laughs> and now that he's... now that Wilson's not there. I, I think we will probably both agree that it, it's very unlikely that Penny will continue what he did last year. 
you will not continue to be the greatest running back in NFL <laughs> <Yeah>. history. <laughs> That's right. He, he will not finish number one in uh, next gen stats, rushing yards over expected per carry. <laughs> I guess the offensive line is probably the other most interesting aspect of the offense to me. You have posted a number of graphics over the offseason <laughs> about how poorly the Seahawks offensive line projected. Do you feel any better about things after seeing Charles Cross and Abe Lucas in the preseason? So they they looked as good as can probably reasonably expected of them. Um, you hope they continue that in the regular season. And obviously, if they hit on two tackles, that would they'd have four years of rookie deal tackles, which would be a huge edge for them as, as they continue building out the roster. Um, but we'll see if that happens. Um, I, I tried a lot of data-driven ways of ranking offensive lines in pass protection and like, every way I tried it, the Seahawks were dead last. And <laughs> some of that is because of the uncertainty associated with rookie tackles or rookie offensive linemen generally. And then a lot of it was because at the time, uh, Jake Curhan was projected as a starting right tackle and he was like the worst pass protecting tackle in the league last year. So if I replaced him with Lucas and it might actually look a little bit better and then like, if the tackle, if the rookie tackles do go in and start performing well, then their like their expectations going forward would start going up pretty quickly because they're young players. So that that'd be the what you want to see as a Seahawks fan um, to have those guys protecting for whoever the quarterback ends up being down the road. Anything else on offense we should discuss? I mean, obviously DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett remain awesome. No fan. Maybe finally this is the year the Seahawks actually throw to their tight end, especially, I mean, it is a different quarterback. But I feel like, you know, it, it, none of that is going to matter in comparison to the quarterback play. I have, I have one, one more offensive question. Given the Seahawks' timeline and Tyler Lockett's age, what would be the draft compensation you would, be, uh, you would need in order to want to trade him? Like, someone offered a second. I, th- I think yes to that. I just don't think they're getting a second for Tyler Lockett. Maybe that's wrong. You're right that Tyler Lockett is probably not going to be on the next Seahawks playoff team. I think that's a fairly fair assumption, unless things go very well. You know, maybe the team looks good this year, and we just get to the point again. Maybe the 2011 thing happens again, and it's like they're a quarterback away. They draft a quarterback, a young quarterback who ends up being good. Maybe they're the Patriots, right? Like that. That is. It is a possibility. Uh, you know, I think you look around the rest of the AFC West and see a lot of uh, pretty stable franchises with a lot of young players. So it, it's going to be a little bit hard for them to sneak into the playoffs these next two seasons. But three seasons from now, I don't know. If the Niners thing doesn't work out, if Matt Stafford is aged very quickly, uh, if Kyler never turns into the player that we expect him to be or whatever, like, could I see the Seahawks make the playoffs three years from now? And Tyler Lockett possibly being an aged veteran on that team. That could happen. Yep. But I think he'd more likely to be traded beforehand. All right. Defensively, Ben, how much are you buying the idea that we we haven't really seen what the Seahawks new defense is going to look like in the preseason because they're they're not, you know, they're they're not doing the new stuff. They're playing very vanilla thus far, which you know, Mike Sean Dugar has mentioned a lot on the man to man podcast. So do you, do you think that we're going to see a very different looking Seahawks defense in the regular season from what we saw in 2021? Yeah, so this is definitely not my area of expertise, but 
the Tate people, according to them, think that the um, the newness of the defense this year is being somewhat oversold, and that they they've been sort of like transitioning in recent years anyway. So like we we we've talked about dropping defensive ends already. Like it's it's not like they're going to be starting doing that for the first time, and like they've been incorporating these like zone matching principles and other stuff that like, a lot of NFL teams do. So like yeah, they they brought in a lot of new staff on the coaching staff and hopefully those those voices and minds will be useful but I, i'm not sure if we'll see like a, a completely different defense than what we've seen in priors that's and that didn't really answer your question but i i think the what we saw in pre or what we saw in preseason is, is probably not super representative for any team but yeah possibly not for the seahawks either yeah i mean i think if you're making the optimistic case for the seahawks defense it's Number one, they've had another year to kind of turn over the roster to fit the idea of what they're doing defensively. So it's not Carlos Dunlap dropping into coverage. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, now it's Shannon Nuoso, who kind of is a fit for what his skill set is. And that's why they went out and added him and, and let Carlos Dunlap go. Uh, and then I guess number two, it's it's got to be better cornerback play uh, across the, over the course of the season, which is probably exceedingly optimistic given, again, they're coming into the season with, with injuries at that position. Sidney Jones, it seems like there's a pretty good chance he'll be ready to go for week one. Uh, Trey Brown, obviously, on pup list, going to miss at least the first four weeks of the season. And that who starts opposite Sidney Jones will be an interesting thing to see with Artie Burns running behind uh uh, Tariq Woolen in the last preseason game was that just because he's coming back from injury or was that actually representative of where the Seahawks see those two players yeah and, and if, if you're closing your eyes and hoping for a really good Seahawks defense I, I think a lot of it also come from the pass rush too so like it, it would probably require Daryl Taylor trying to do a star and Boy Maffei like making a difference in his his rookie year and, and having a lot more pass rush threat than they have in the past couple of years is there anything that you're most excited about potentially on defense? I, I'll be interested to see how the rookie corners do. Um, hit, hitting on a late round uh, draft pick at, at corner would be um, a, a pretty big deal. It's just the length of the rookie contract and the importance of the of the position would make a big difference for the defense. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see what they do with Jamal Adams and how that goes, which I think is kind of a we probably say that to ourselves every year. <laughs> Maybe they'll finally unlock the key because I don't think they have yet, uh, but finger, fingers crossed on uh, what happens. Well, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement there. I think we can say that confidently. Yeah. yeah. What do we think is the weakest position group on defense? I think in expectation, probably cornerback. And it, it's not be, not because they like, it's impossible that they can be good, they, but they just don't have proven players there. I still think there's, and that, that's exactly what we I said. I think there's year. a case for inside <laughs> linebacker. Like I, I think the Jordan Brooks excitement is getting a little too fast too soon for my taste. And Cody Barton is someone who, you know, didn't spend a lot of time on the field for three years. And granted, the Seahawks had veteran linebackers for a long period of time, but also they felt compelled after drafting him to go out and take Jordan Brooks in the first round. So there's only so sold they could have been on Cody Barton. I mean, I think you're parsing it a little bit too much with inside. I suppose you could consider it like inside linebackers and then pass rush. But yeah, I think those are wildly different positions. There are no proven starting caliber NFL corners on the roster. When you put it that way. 
It's not right. Good. I mean, like, is that wrong? Jordan <laughs> Brooks is a proven starting caliber NFL linebacker. Yes. And Sidney Jones only started half the season last like, year. Well, and I mean, that was Jordan Brooks was his first year really as an everyday starter. Correct. And he was capable of doing it. Like Sidney Jones, we're talking about it coming off multiple seasons beforehand of showing that he wasn't an NFL starting caliber cornerback. I don't even know how you can make an argument against the corner. The corners might be good. Like I could see hope, but at this point, as far well, as I think that's the case the season, is that there's enough guys there that one of them probably will work out at some point, whether it's Trey Brown returning from injury or one of the young guys being ahead of schedule or, you know, Artie Burns just fitting in better than we expect. If it doesn't work out with Cody Barton, your backup at the position is Nick Ballore. I'm, so I, that's that's the problem here. I think they can find an inside linebacker, but also Jordan Brooks could be the best inside linebacker in the country, right? In the NFL, we're talking college. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the college level, I think it's very likely that he could be the best linebacker in the country. <laughs> uh, that it would it would be surprising, but it wouldn't be shocking. If Jordan Brooks was the best NFL in, in the or the best inside linebacker in the NFL, <laughs> it wouldn't be surprising. But it would be surprising. But it wouldn't be shocking. I think yeah. it would be shocking. I, I mean, he was like a fringe Pro Bowler last year. He got a lot of tackles because the Seahawks defended the most plays in modern NFL history. <laughs> Congrats. Sure, but like the, you're being too harsh on Jordan Brooks here. Okay. I'm just saying. You're comparing him too... to Sidney Jones and to I'm not comparing a fourth him. round draft pick. I'm not comparing him to them. I'm just saying I don't think he's far enough ahead of those guys that it's Cody like not even Barton a discussion. Played more successful NFL games probably than any of these starting quarterbacks. No, there's no way he's uh, uh, Sidney Jones. There's no way. I mean. How many weeks of good City Jones play and even, do you have? Even Trey Brown had a larger sample size of effective <laughs> cornerback play than Cody Barton has effective linebacker play. I, I'm, I'm not buying this. I think the corners may end up being good, but just in this moment as far as confidence for it. Okay. How good do we think, if we're, we're talking DVOA, how, what are our expectations for the Seahawks defense this season? What were they last year? Do you, do you know off the top of your head? Was, was it like low 20s? Yeah. Yeah, they were 21st. Yeah, I, I guess around there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's somewhere probably around 20th is the reasonable expectation. I mean, they've they've lost some talent from that defense. So if they were 20th, it would actually probably be a pretty good sign about the young players and about the scheme. I think this defense can be the 15th best defense. Sure. In the NFL. If you expect it to be 20th, then 15th is well within the realm of expectations. <laughs> uh, I, it's more just if they are the 15th best defense. I think the defense is probably, I would assume, a little bit ahead of the offense. And I think that's what we saw during the preseason. Uh, and the Geno Smith question is just so large that the reality is if you pair the 20th offense with the 15th best defense, you have a pretty bad team. Yes. You can make the playoffs with that, though. <laughs> if, if you got lucky in one score games, that's, that's a playoff. And we're in the right division. If there's anybody who's, yeah. <laughs> who's around there. I mean, like Tennessee last year was the 20th offense and the 12th defense. That's still, that's 12, pretty optimistic 12, for the Seahawks. But yes, they definitely got lucky in close games, including in Seattle. I mean, you look at a lot of teams, actually. It's kind of wild how many teams. I mean, Pittsburgh was the 25th best offense and the 14th best defense uh, and also made the playoffs. 
just some bad teams make the playoffs. Miami was the 24th offense and the 10th, 10th best defense. It's almost like having seven playoff teams in each conference is a bad <laughs> idea. If I didn't know better, I would think that. Playoff expansion only makes sense in baseball. Uh, <laughs> we're actually now the Mariners don't need potentially. You can't really look at DVOA and records. Like, obviously, the, they're correlated, but they're not perfectly correlated. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of randomness. It's a 17-game season. This is why the Seahawks might make the playoffs this year with a six-game over-under. Do we want to do the Seahawks over-under now, or do we want to do them with everyone else? Let's do it. All right, will you start, Ben? So it's, I th- I've seen it 5.5 in, in some places and 6 in others. So if we're going on 6, then I'll, I, I guess I would, <laughs> I'll, t- I'll take the under. <laughs> I think it's hard to see them winning 7. Like, it's not impossible to see them winning 7 games, but it, it feels pretty unlikely. Tristan? I really have no feel for this. I think I'm going to take a begrudging over. A begrudging over. I love well, it. I, I think the worst <laughs> thing that could happen to them is probably going seven and 10, eight and nine. Like, to, if they're not going to put themselves in the position to be good long term and pick up that quarterback after the season, at the same time, we've seen the Broncos do it, right? Like, quarterbacks, we're entering into an era where quarterbacks. I think will be traded more often than they were beforehand. So likely uh, who knows, maybe they could take those two first round draft picks and turn it into a proven NFL quarterback or whatever. But the scariest thing for me to have happen for the Seahawks is getting into that. We talked about this, the, the wheel of quarterbacks, right? When you start talking yourself into Carson Wentz and Mitch Trubisky and players like that, that is not the place that you want to be. And I think that's what seven and 10, it makes me a little scared that they're going to find themselves on on that wheel of quarterbacks maybe ryan fitzpatrick comes out of retirement whatever <laughs> you know oh, he's, he's got his job at thursday night football i think he's excited. good we'd be excited but <laughs> I, i'm gonna take i'm gonna take a begrudging over on six wins it's weird because usually when people take the over for their hometown team it's a side of like <laughs> bias of things are going to go better than everyone else thinks. And in our case, the over is actually like, no, things are probably going to go worse than, than everyone else is hoping. And I kind of feel the same way that Pete Carroll is going to Pete Carroll his way to seven and 10. He's going to figure of it games. out. And then, so and I'm look, also taking the over long-term it's long-term. It's probably going to be a bad thing, but who knows? I mean, they have two first round picks next year. Maybe if those picks are, who knows? I, I don't even I mean, I guess we're going to venture a guess on the Broncos here very shortly because we're doing over-unders. Uh, but I think the Broncos have a pretty... They're, it's not going to be a top 10 pick, but just knowing the division that they're in, it's going to be not a terrible, terrible pick. And if the Seahawks have like the 10th pick or something like that, maybe they can turn those two into a pick that leads to a starting quarterback. Well, let's get to it without further ado. We're using over-unders from WilliamHill.com, Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill. Uh, We'll mention uh, typically in the Seahawks case, there has been action thus far on the under. That's why it's six wins uh, for the Seahawks at William Hill, but as Ben pointed out, five and a half others. That's the other way they can sort of adjust it downward is to uh, change the the odds on the over and the under in the case, this case, the Seahawks, you get much better odds if you take the over than the under. So we'll mention that with teams. And we start with the Arizona Cardinals who after uh, nearly winning the NFC West last year, 
not winning it because of the Seahawks winning at Arizona in week 18, have a line of nine wins, heavy action here on the under. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the under. Um, this might just be recency bias because of what we saw from them to end the season. And then plus the under Hopkins is suspended to open the year. Um, but it, in this division, it, it's hard to see them winning a lot of games, even though they did last year. But I, I just can't trust How them. How many games DeAndre Hopkins suspended for? Six? I think it's six. I, I, last year, this was the team where I said I didn't understand. That, I think this was one of my locks for an over was I didn't understand why people were viewing Arizona so negatively. And I still kind of think, I don't, there's, I, I think maybe there's an, like an ageism thing about Cliff Kingsbury or something, or like, like an I don't know if it's ageism. I, I think, that, I think it's lack of success bias. Offensive genius whose <laughs> offenses aren't good. All things considered, he has not been that unsuccessful of a head coach. Right. Like you, With the you Cardinals, yeah. Was he a head coach beforehand? I mean, like you're talking yeah, his college career. Like, come on. Yes. I, I think that Cliff Kingsbury, as a person, rubs the average NFL fan the wrong way, and that causes people to underrate the Arizona Cardinals. And I'm still, I'm going over on the Cardinals again. The Cardinals last year had a line of eight wins. There was heavy action on the over on that one, so you were going with it, and that was in fact a lock for you. And you know what? I'm going to go the other direction. I'm going to make this a lock as an under. Wow. Football Outsiders with a 7.7 win projection for the Cardinals below their line, well below their line of nine wins. This was the line was nine. I mean, they yeah. still won two more games than that last year. Yeah. In a year they that did have a reasonable, they had a 10 and a half Pythagorean wins. In, in the end, I feel like people viewed that as a bad season. Kyler got hurt or whatever, but I, it's, it's a little fascinating to me, the negativity around, that surrounds the Cardinals. Yes. And then there was the whole offseason thing and then the contract thing. There's just been a lot of things with the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> uh, Atlanta Falcons have a line of five wins coming off last year's 7-10 and 10 finish. Some, a lot of action here on the under. Man, it's hard to take an under on a five-win team, but... Oh man, and their division kind of stinks. So yeah, I'll take the over. Uh, easy. My feels pretty low. Falcons. <laughs> yeah, we're we're all in agreement here. Seven point five win projection from Football Outsiders. I mean, they're they're Pythag Pythagorean. They won seven games last year, right? They did. Uh, their Pythagorean record was four point nine wins. I get how people got here with the Falcons, yeah. but I I can't quit Mariota. Come on, exactly. Yeah. Baltimore Ravens, a line of nine and a half wins. A lot of action here on the over. Yeah, I'll I'll join them. Nine nine and a half feels low given they're they're a pretty good team and healthy. They they just weren't ever healthy this year. Um so I, I, I could easily see them winning ten games. Oh, definitely an over on the Ravens. Oregon aligned on this one. Buffalo Bills, a line of 11 and a half wins. They are the uh, consensus Super Bowl favorites. Highest line, tight for the highest line of any team. I think the line is well-deserved, and I, this isn't a shot at the Bills. It, it just feels like a lot for a line to be set at, so I'll, I'll take the under, and I'm guessing I, I won't feel good about it by the time of season. I'm taking you know, over on the Bills. I mean, again, you look at last year, they 
they had a Pythagorean record of 13.3 wins last season, probably got better over the off season uh, and are playing in a division that I'm not really expecting. I, I think that the other two best teams in their division probably got worse. Like I would expect a clean sweep in division for the bills. I think this is a pretty fair line. I'm surprised there's been so much action on the over. I'm, I'm probably going to reluctantly go over on this one. It's a lot of wins. I get it. It's it, like just seeing that and saying that they have to win all those games. It feels like a lot, but roster wise. Are the bills, the best team in the NFL? I think probably so. They have the best football outsiders projection. Yeah. I, I think last year they were one of the top teams and they're, they're the only one of the top teams that didn't lose somebody key. So Harry killer Devonte Adams and, and they added Von Miller. So I, I think, yeah, it's fair to consider them the best team. Carolina Panthers, a line of six and a half wins. I'll take the over. They, they'll they probably have better quarterback play. They have a decent roster. Um, and um, yeah, better quarterback play than last year isn't a high bar to meet. So I, I could see them winning seven games. I'm going to go under here. Really no reason for it. I just, I just <laughs> don't, don't feel it happening for Carolina. <laughs> Uh, the way that Tristan feels about Cliff Kingsbury being underrated by NFL fans is how I feel about Baker Mayfield. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going to take the over here. But do, do you think that there's a chance of Baker having a fully healthy season with Carolina? There's just there's a chance. I feel like we're going to look at this team in like week eight and be like, ah, they were like not that bad of a team, but they're two and six. Chicago Bears, a line of six wins. I, I don't really believe in the Bears, so I'm I'm going to take the under. I haven't taken enough unders yet, so I'm going to do that. I'm going under also. <laughs> Cincinnati Bengals, defending AFC champions, a line of nine and a half wins action on the over here. This one's interesting because like, if you listen to Bengals fans, this line is crazy because they just went to the Super Bowl and figured everything out and they're the greatest team in their conference now. But then like, if you look at the line, it's nine and a half which is, I think, probably appropriately priced. If, if I had to pick something... You do, yes. I guess, I guess I'll... <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll go with the over. <laughs> um, but I, I don't feel great about it either way. I'm definitely yeah. going over on the Bengals. And I... I wow. Where's the line? Nine and a half? I'm uh, going to make this a lock right here for the Bengals. <laughs> I mean, you look at it and the Bengals, honestly, they didn't really necessarily meet their expectations last year. They hadn't quite put everything together. Then they have the Super Bowl run after that. But year two, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow together. Like this offense, what did they rank DVOA-wise? Number 19 or 18 during the regular season? There's no way they're not a top 10 offense. I mean, it's interesting them statistically because they they were better than this last year. Their you know, Pythagorean record was... a. A solid, I've opened up the 2021 spreadsheet that you had me open. Their Pythagorean record was a solid 10 and a half. They won 10 games. And yep, Football Outsiders has them projected for 8.6 wins this season, basically a 500 team. I think FPI might be fairly similar to that. So I'm going to I'm gonna take a slight under here, especially since the action has been on the over. Cleveland Browns, a line of eight and a half wins. Even Steven. I guess I'll go under just... Uh... Not for any good reason, but it'll be more fun to root <laughs> against them. 
I'm going under also. And we didn't talk about this. AFC hosting yep. eight home games this year, whereas the NFC hosting nine. I don't do we do we have numbers on how that went? NFC versus AFC last year as the AFC was hosting that one extra game. I think it I don't know if that number is like baked into the over-unders, but I do think all things considered, when you look at these sort of like toss-up AFC teams, I'm probably gonna lean under for most of them. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I also am going to go under on Cleveland here. Uh, they, you know, I, I think eight wins is probably a reasonable target for them. But uh, uh, Dallas Cowboys, a line of ten and a half wins coming off of last year's wow. twelve win ten season. And a half wins, man. Okay. Yeah, they they've just, they've lost too many pieces for me to pick the over on that. So I I'll go under. Man, Ben, anti Cowboys. I've always said it. I was so, so <laughs> ready to say over, and I'm still ready to say over on the Cowboys. Wow. I mean, this this is Dak two seasons after the injury, correct? We should have close to 100% healthy Dak. Receivers are still good, even without Amari Cooper. Like, I, I personally don't think offensive line matters that much, uh, all things considered. So it's not like you would look at an offensive line injury and be like, boom, they're down two games because of that. I don't really buy that. And we know that they have one of the best offensive coordinators in the country. <laughs> Tristan was so passionate about this over case that it almost flipped me to under, but I'm still going to take the over. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You mentioned this is a preview to this. The Denver Broncos have a line of 10 wins with quarterback, Russell Wilson. What do we think here? Yeah, they're, they're in a tough spot because they they have to win because they just swung this huge trade, but they're also in a, a very very hard division, um, and the expectations are reflected accordingly. Ten feels a little high, so I guess I will go under, um, but I don't feel strongly about it. It's it's the division is really tough. <sighs> you know, like. You probably wouldn't expect them to go any better than three and three in the division. Obviously, they're they're and they're playing the NFC West, right? The Seahawks aren't an extra game for them, so also playing a fairly difficult division there. I'm gonna I'm gonna still go. I'm gonna go under on Denver. Yeah, I've just got a bad feeling about how this season is gonna go for Russell Wilson. I don't want it to happen, <laughs> but I've just got a bad feeling, and also have a bad feeling about how Denver is going to do in Seattle on Monday night, September twelfth. But we'll talk about that on this week's podcast. I, I do not buy that at all. It's 100% chance of victory for the Broncos. But I guess I'm curious about this. I feel like initially the response to Russell Wilson was like there was the there was the sect of Seahawks Twitter who was anti Russell Wilson pretty much before he was traded and then immediately rallied. I do think it has become the the pervasive perspective among Seahawks Twitter is to, at the very least, make fun of Russell Wilson. And maybe that's because we wanted to beforehand, or it's one of those things where, like, now that he's not a Seahawk, we can allow ourselves to see some of the goofier things of, of Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson. But are, are we... I personally am just like, this is stupid. We should just <laughs> fucking respect Russell Wilson for all of the victories that he brought us over this last decade, right? Like, the idea... I want to advance to the point where we all love Russell Wilson and acknowledge that he was the best player in Seattle sports history, right? Or at least the most important player in Seattle sports history. We, the, I mean, I, I had a conversation <laughs> that I saw aside Thank from you. super. Thank you. 
Okay. Like, <laughs> like she's I still playing. Like, let's, you know, let's all remain. <laughs> I saw a conversation on Twitter that mentioned, like, Felix Hernandez and Ichiro. And I'm just like, dog, can we be real for a second? <laughs> the Seahawks have made three Super Bowls ever, and Russell Wilson has been the quarterback in two of those. The Seahawks have won one Super Bowl ever, and Russell Wilson is the quarterback in that one. Say what you will with the roster in general, but, like, quarterback wins are really what we pay a lot of attention to. You know what I mean? Like, Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. He's always going to have won a Super Bowl. Russell Wilson being the quarterback during those seasons, having so many times playoff wins, going into playoff games, home playoff games, where the Seahawks consistently won. It's like, we could just appreciate this. We don't have to be mad at Russell Wilson. I would ask for a trade too. Like, we can all acknowledge that Pete Carroll and John Schneider are very annoying about the quarterback position. At the very least, that it would be a difficult place to play quarterback. They did not invest in offensive line. They they ended up with good receivers, but didn't really heavily invest in the position. They made Russell Wilson's life hard. We all would want to be traded from this team. Also, Russell Wilson had the fucking insight to get out at the exact right time before they were about to blow it up with the roster. Like, can we just have a little bit of respect? I mean, I don't know. I don't know that by that particular argument because the the blowing up the roster was trading Russell Wilson. So those two things happened at precisely but, the same time. Like the roster, the roster was aging at that yes. point. It's not like the it's the same thing. Alex Rodriguez had the wherewithal to be like, yeah, maybe you have a couple of good seasons left in you. But I know how old John Allrood and Brett Boone are, right? Like I'm going to get the Texas fuck out of here and get paid. So well. Still, I just want to get to the point where. <laughs> We And maybe the rest of Mariners fans don't feel this way about A-Rod. Maybe this is just me. <laughs> but when we get to the point where we just love the player for all the I don't think that's moments. the comparison Sorry. here. I think it's like Sean Kemp when he asked for a trade. Ken Griffey yeah, Jr. And Griff, Griffey, I right? think, was, was... It's hard to remember. I, I There was no Twitter back in... What, what year is it? 1998? But I do think there was like... There would have been a negative perspective of... I mean, the thing about Griffey is he didn't, because of interleague play, he didn't come back to play here until 2007. So, like, enough time had already passed that those wounds had healed, and that was, like, this great moment that eventually led to him returning to the Mariners. But I think of, like, Sean Kemp definitely got booed the first time he came back with Cleveland. But then eventually, like, Sean Kemp is now one of the favorite athletes in Seattle sports. Sean Kemp cannabis, right? There's a fucking mural of him right there. I don't think there'll be a Russell Wilson cannabis. but (laughs) You never know. Russell Wilson Nana bubbles. I think the point of <laughs> keep cutting you off, Ben. I think the point of contention is like not everybody would agree that Russell Wilson was justified in getting a trade and is like giving him kudos for going out and finding a better situation. Like Seahawks fans who who really believe in the uh, the people running the team, like they they see Russell Wilson wanting out as like a a rebuke of the team and like leaving a bad taste in their mouth. And they like, they trust that Pete Carroll and John Schneider are doing everything they can to rebuild the team. And they, and they have trust in them and like Russell Wilson trying to get out messed up all their plans. So like, I fully agree with everything that you said, Tristan. Including and the I wish part. that we could, wow. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> except for the Ichiro part. <laughs> Any, anything you said about Ichiro, I, I didn't agree with. <laughs> um, <laughs> people, are, people are literally tweeting for the first time in six years. Yeah. So annoying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And also Tristan's um kingdom versus the the new the new ballpark. I, I also disagree with those things, but we're we're, we're getting <laughs> off the rails here. But <laughs> but people like people's fandom who is tied to the management of the team and the team itself 
rather than like being able to put themselves in a player's shoes and not necessarily thinking that Seattle was the best place for Russell Wilson. I, I think those are the people that are like the most bitter about Russell Wilson and, and they probably don't see. But the other thing about it is they got to play the games. So the Pete Carroll, John Schneider <laughs> philosophy is going to be on display for 17 games this season. And we'll see how people feel about it yep. at the end of that point. So speaking of philosophies that are on display for 17 weeks this season, Dan Campbell and the Detroit yes. Lions have a line of six and a half wins. A lot of action on the over here. People just Hello. couldn't get enough of Jamal Williams crying about how badly he wants this team to be successful on hard knocks. I'll, I'll take the over without any, any good reason for it. I'm taking the over also. As I told Tristan after I watched the first episode of the hard knocks, hard under here. I have no faith in the Detroit Lions, even though they were better than their three-win record. Last they were year. they were not that I bad agree. of a team last I, year, I right? Agree. And Jared Goff is fine and, uh, at quarterback. Are you just Jared Goff is fine at quarterback. Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be a star this year. Just like two desperate sounding speeches throughout this episode, this season of Hard Knocks. I don't like desperation. <laughs> Green Bay Packers, a line of eleven wins post Devonte Adams trade. Uh, this is a too long pause at this point. Uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll take the under there, <laughs> There's no good reason for it, but, uh, to stay on, to stay on brand, I'll take the Packers under. <laughs> uh, I, there are going to be a lot of questions about wide receivers this year, right? Cause the most, aside from Russ, the most important players who traded teams this season were wide receivers. And I, I think we saw a couple of, well, I can only think of one. Uh, Stefan Diggs was a very good example of a star wide receiver who changed teams and that team ended up getting significantly better once he made it to his new team and his previous team was worse, even though they did replace him uh, pretty quickly with maybe even a better wide receiver, but it, it took a year or two for them to get there. Uh, I'm curious in your opinion, Ben, how much do wide receivers like Devontae Adams, like Tyreek Hill, how much do those players matter as far as wins and losses? So on the all field? the studies that have tried to do positional value, like PFFs wins above replacement and stuff like that. They, like, they always find that wide receivers are the most important non-quarterback position. And, and I think that makes sense. Um, what happens on pass plays is primarily what determines games and what happens at the catch point goes a long way to um, determining that and, and as well as getting open and stuff like that. So I don't think it's like by a mile that they're more important than edge rushers or left tackles or anything. But if, if Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill moved the needle um, on their teams. I... I mean, I think what makes this interesting is it's not like we're talking about, you know, DK Metcalf playing with Geno Smith. Like we're talking about quarter <clears throat> wide receivers yeah. who have only played in one situation with elite quarterbacks their entire career. And that's where the question becomes, how well can we parse the wide receiver's success from the quarterback success? And the, the Tyreek Hill one is... So interesting think, because the, the the two quarterbacks that he's going to have played with are just so different stylistically that like Tyree Kill being very valuable when Patrick Mahomes throwing it to him is not necessarily the same thing as when Tua is throwing to him. Was there can can we separate Josh Allen's success from Stefan Diggs though? Like Josh Allen played it was it one season before they traded for Diggs? two seasons and he wasn't like Josh Allen skyrocketed as a quarterback after they traded for Diggs. 
Like, would it be impossible for Tua to all of a sudden become one of the best quarterbacks? I mean, like, now we consider Josh Allen possibly the best quarterback in the league, but it, it's basically only from time when he's played with Diggs. And I, I think, I mean, we saw it. We saw Michael Penix Jr., like just how different a system and a quarterback and receivers can look pretty instantly. And when you have open receivers, I think it can make quarterbacks look an awful lot better, especially if they're receivers who can get down the field. Of All that is to say, I think Devontae Adams is really fucking good. Uh, and I, I believe that he is really fucking good outside of Aaron Rodgers. I'm betting on the Aaron Rodgers for infrastructure me, here, even with unproven receivers. I'm taking the over. Houston Texans, a line wow. of four and a half wins. <laughs> I believe this is the lowest on the board. Yeah. Davis Mills disrespect here. So I'll, I'll, take, that. I'll <laughs> take the over. Confident over. Confident over on Houston. This was so surprising to me that I had to go double check the football outsiders projection because I thought I had maybe typed it in wrong. 7.9 wins what? on average. I'm making it a lock. I'm making the Texans over a lock. There you babies. go. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to go as far as to make it a lock, but I'm taking the over. Let's... And that's half, half of their projection. <laughs> not, not quite, but yes. Uh, Indianapolis Colts, Matt Ryan, new quarterback, a line of 10 wins. <laughs> Yeah, they, they have a very, very easy schedule and an, an upgrade at quarterback. So I, I think those are the things going for them. So I'll take the over. Not a strong over, but I'll take the over. I'm going under here. This was the other half of that. I, me needing to check it. Because Indianapolis Colts also have a projection of precisely 7.9 wins wow. from Football Outsiders. So... Given the ten win line in the action on the over, I'm I'm going to take the under here. Why? So why would? Or sorry, Ben, go ahead. I, I, yeah, I'm I'm pro, I'm guessing this is the same question because like the, the Colts had, I think they had pretty good point differential and advanced stats and stuff, and the, yeah. nobody's high. On Carson, no, they did. Nobody's high on Carson Wentz, so I'm I'm not sure how you can <laughs> get from that to a projection of a losing record this year. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one either. Is Carson Wentz? Possibly underrated. <laughs> I, I'm just I I'm just gonna make a face. But okay, Indianapolis had the 13th best offense last year. That is better than I mean the fucking by regular season DVOA. But that's better than Arizona, Minnesota, Baltimore, who we're excited about. Cincinnati, Vegas, ten, Tennessee, yeah. 12 games. Yeah. How good like, was their passing offense? I mean, but but if we do that, if we start parsing that, then we say to ourselves that running does matter, right? And if we're if we're honestly saying that, do we think Wait. that Jonathan Taylor is going to be that good two years in a row? So second I, best rush. I, TV I, I do think that's a good counter to the Colts. Is like a lot of their success last year was in the run game, and it's probably not reasonable to expect that to continue. So yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. No, on the upside for them. Uh, being having a large number of unvaccinated players is not as much of a problem this season as it was last season. So they got that going for them. They were nice. second in rushing and 20, 20th in passing. Like, I mean, I all respect to Jonathan Taylor. I, clearly, he had a very good year, but the chances of, of him not getting injured and not regressing, I just absolutely do not see. <clears throat> Jacksonville Jaguars, after last year's three-win season under Urban Meyer and briefly Daryl Bevel did nothing wrong, 
a line of six and a half wins going into this season. I think I already took the over on the rest of the teams in this division, so I'll I'll take the under. I'm going over on the Jags. I like I'm the, I like clearly very high on Lawrence. So I'm, <laughs> I'm also going over. I, I think there is a chance that Trevor Lawrence is one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league this year. There's also a chance he's not, obviously, but like his window for potential is higher than... I think he could be Justin give us, Herbert. Give us a percentage chances of the odds of him being one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL. By QBR? Year. Sure. I think there's a 50% chance. Or, or we could use the uh, Dakota composite. <laughs> we could do that. I mean, was, was Justin Herbert a top 10 quarterback by QBR or whatever, DVOA last year? He was, he was probably better as a rookie, but the, putting it together in the second year, being away from Urban Meyer, like having probably slightly better receivers, uh, Trevor Lawrence could put it together here. It is hard to underestimate the value of just not having <laughs> Urban Meyer as your coach. Justin Herbert was third in QBR last season. Justin Herbert's very good. We're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs, we discussed them earlier a little bit in the context of star wide receivers changing teams. After last year's 12-win season and the Tyree Kill trade, their line is 10.5 wins. So this is like Kevin betting on the Aaron Rodgers infrastructure, but I'll, I'll bet on the Patrick Mahomes infrastructure here and uh, take over. Man, I, I wanted to say under, but I feel like the Chiefs could fuck around and still be 11 and 6. I mean, they fucked around some of last season, it's safe to say, and still went 12 and 5. So I, I also am taking over here, although football outside is a bit lower on the nine win projection. Las Vegas Raiders staying in the AFC West, one of the teams getting these wide receivers and Devontae Adams, a line of eight and a half wins after they won 10 last season. <laughs> um, I'll take the under. I, I think the advanced numbers were not super friendly to their season last year. And, and even though they, they did add players, um, I'll, I'll take the under. Give me an over on the Raiders. 10 times out of 10. This is one of the cases where they are precisely on their football outsiders projection of eight and a half wins on average. I am feeling a slight under. I'm going to take the under here just because there's action on the over. Los Angeles Chargers. The most action, or not the most, close to the most action on what was already a pretty high o- line of 10 wins. People are very hyped about the LA Chargers. Are we as well? 10's pretty high, so I, I can't go there. I'll, I'll take the under, but I, I do understand the case for the over where their offense was great and their defense was bad, and, and you would expect the offense to continue to be good and the defense to get better, especially with the pieces they added. So I, I, I'm almost talking myself into the over here, but... I, I, I can't believe you're under on the Chargers. I'm I excited to revisit this one in January. Uh, I think the Chargers are probably the best team in the league. Wow. <laughs> Better than the Bills? Uh, yeah. Okay. I think they're better. Than, I mean, Herbert, Herbert, and then adding Cleo Mack and JC Jackson this offseason, like those receivers are going to go off. This team is freaking stacked, and they have one of the best coaches in the league. Like, Give me the Chargers 10 times out of 10. Again, them and the Raiders. <laughs> I'm worried about listening to this or going back and revisiting this in January. And it turns out that like every Chargers starter is injured <laughs> and their season has collapsed as a result of it. But I too, I'm going to take the over here. I hope you guys you are right. say that with any team, right? Like Pat Mahomes could get injured just because he hasn't yeah, doesn't mean that I, he can't. There's not a long track record of Chiefs seasons being <laughs> I, derailed by injuries to derailed by injuries to key players. This is a different Chargers team. 
Okay. The culture has changed. <laughs> the we, game okay. has changed. If you if you had to guess, b- per- breakdown of percentage of chances, three teams for the best record in the NFL, who do you think would have the highest chances? I mean, Buffalo would have the highest chances. Buffalo and then who? Tampa Bay is probably up, up there. They, they are the other team with an 11 and a half win line. And then it's to the teams with 10 and a half. And the Chargers are right behind them at the 10 plus action on the over. Let me, okay, Ben, you get three teams. One of them has to have the best record in the NFL. Who are your three teams? Uh, let's see Buffalo, Kansas City. It's actually pretty hard. And <laughs> this, this, I'm already rejecting my over-unders, but I'll say Green Bay. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a different form of list. Yeah. Green Bay. They also have an 11 win yeah. line, so you just took the yeah. top three by line. The, the responsible thing to do would, would be take the Bucks, but I, I really do not believe in Tampa Bay this year, as we'll get to. No. Los Angeles Rams. The defending the reigning Super Bowl champions, a line of ten and a half wins. I feel like this was the exact line last year, and we spent a lot of time debating it. With Kristen and I being very <laughs> certain that this line was too high, <laughs> and then in our group DM, we were like gloating halfway through the season when they're on that losing streak, like they're not going to hit their over over. But then they did, and we lost. <laughs> Remarkably, <laughs> it was precisely ten and a half last year. Tristan took the over. Oh, really? For all his Matthew Stafford mistakes. <laughs> so it was just me by myself. Uh, <laughs> being wrong about them. Um, well, I'll take the under again. It was close last year, so <laughs> maybe we'll get there this time. Pythagorean wins wise, like they, it was 10.7, and they, they had a 10.5 projection, right? Or over under? Yep. So they exceeded their over under by a game and a half. Or they exceeded their Pythagorean wins by a game and a half. Correct. Absolutely will not happen this year. Oh, wow. <laughs> solid, well, solid you... under for the, char- or for you... the Rams. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be alone on the over this one. <laughs> there you go. Enjoy that. Miami Dolphins, a line of eight and a half wins. Action on the over here. I guess I will take the over and not feel great about it in any way. I'm going under. Same reason that we sort of discussed about the AFC playing less games. Of those teams that are right there, uh, I don't know if I think Tyree Kill is going to make. I think Devontae Adams will make a bigger difference in Vegas than Tyree Kill will make in Miami. I think I just need to take some unders, so I'm going to go the under here. Uh, Minnesota Vikings, a line of nine wins action on the over. I feel like I like them every off season and take the over and they inevitably disappoint, but uh, I'll do it again. So I'll take the over here. Definitely over on the Vikings. We'll make it a clean sweep. <laughs> An offensive minded head coach in Minnesota. It's a new day. The one team that has traditionally relied on an, a, a, an experienced defensive minded head coach chose the coach over the quarterback. One team chose, I'm not necessarily the quarterback, I, in Kirk Cousins' case, yeah. but uh, <laughs> they, they've got a new coach. So we'll see the experiment there. New England Patriots, a line of eight and a half wins coming off of last year's 10 and a 12-plus Pythagorean wins. 
I'll take the under. I think their schedule is supposed to be pretty hard, and they they did not look super impressive at the end of season, even though they they did blow out a few teams. Uh, but I don't I don't really believe in them that much. I guess I'm going. I don't feel good about it, but I'm going under on the Patriots. Yeah, you never feel great about it, but also Joe Judge and Matt Patricia are prominently involved on <laughs> offense, so I'm going sure. under as well. New Orleans Saints, a line of eight and a half wins. I think I take the under on them every year and probably get it wrong almost every year, but I'll go with the under again where I, I still don't really see the hype for them. I, do you have how many games they won last year and what their over-under was? They won nine last year. Wow. Okay, well, they might prove me wrong again, but I can't take this over and feel good about it. They were they were a push actually. Their line was precisely nine. Winning the NFC South. Give me the Saints over. <laughs> it's basically you kind of look at it and you're sort of deciding: are you a Buccaneers person or are you a Saints person? And I do not feel good about the Buccaneers this year. For the second consecutive year, not only am I taking the over, I'm making this a lock. <laughs> I feel like I would have won it last year if Jameis had stayed healthy. I mean, that's nine if, wins with Jameis being injured for most of the season. If Ian Book hadn't started any games, <laughs> which I'm confident he will not this season. The New York Giants, a line of seven wins. So they have what is probably the easiest schedule in the league. So that's, like, if you have in your head the Giants being a terrible team, then part, part of the thing that's getting them there is like, the, the teams they get to play, play against. I, I really do not believe in them, but I think given the teams that they play, they can win enough of them to get to this. So I will, I will reluctantly take the Giants over here. Uh, new head coach, right? Brian Dable taking over yep. as head coach of the Giants. I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reluctantly go over also. All right, I'm going to be the only one to take the under here. My, my instinct when I heard that line was like, <laughs> that is too high, but... Six and a half, I would have gone over. That's that's Six, a seven, that's a more. Brian Dable over. New York Jets, a line of five and a <laughs> half wins. This they're probably gonna be terrible, but this still feels a little bit low, so I'll I'll take the over. Does not feel great to go over on the Jets and Giants together. <laughs> yeah, we're we're doing the clean sweep of, of New York overs. <laughs> I just picture the two of you like Thelma and Louise holding hands as the car goes <laughs> another, off the cliff. Another piece about the Bills, though, which is they are losing Brian Dable. And, yeah. you know, has, I feel like game scheme-wise, they've been one of the best teams in the league over the last couple of seasons uh, and being willing to adjust for opponents. I'm sure that is, you know, not just coming from Brian Dable on his own, but somebody who losing that and losing that, that... Uh, willingness to adjust what they're doing over time like they're I, what i was over on the bills <laughs> yes you were what is the line 10 and a half 11 and a half all right i'll, I'll stay over i'll stay over. <laughs> but i'm going i'm going over on the jets and the giants i also am taking over on the jets five and a half is is very low so uh, Philadelphia Eagles, a line of nine and a half wins action on the over here. I don't love doing this because it feels like following the crowd of everybody else where they're like the hot hype team right now. But I, I do think nine and a half feels a little bit low. So I'll, I'll go with the over. Yeah, they had 10 Pythagorean wins last year, even though they never felt that good. But 
I guess I have to go over. I also am going over here a 10-win projection from Football Outsiders. Pittsburgh Steelers, a line of seven and a half wins. Action here on the under. Uh, I'll, I'll go under. This will probably be wrong, but I, I'm going to go under. <laughs> I'm going going under also. I'll take the over here uh, to go against the football outsiders heads and projected for 8.2 wins. So I, th- I think reasonable. There, there is an in, infrastructure sort sort of over there that you could imagine right. for the Steelers. Right. San Francisco 49ers, a line of 10 wins. This was the other team that we argued about a lot last year. I, I think the over under was 10 and a half and we, we argued about it and then they, they almost hit it and probably would have if Jimmy G hadn't gotten hurt. Um, it's a lot harder now because we have no idea what to expect from Trey Lance, but I guess, well, I can't take the under for the entire NFC West. So I guess I have to go over with somebody and I guess it's going to be 49ers. Going under on the Niners. I also am going under on the 49ers. Tristan and I have taken a lot of overs already for the record. (laughs) That might change. Really difficult to to slot them. And you said it was 10 and a half or nine and a half. Precisely 10. 10. So for them to get to 11 wins with a quarterback who we've seen play very sparingly and never particularly well, like, yeah, it's just a lot to get to at this point uh, around, you know, like it feels like a Kyle Shanahan line more than it does a roster line. And we've had plenty of seasons where Kyle Shanahan, you know, it's been talked about ad nauseum about his win, his head coaching win percentage being lower than Lovey Smith's. Right. Like Kyle Shanahan's not somebody you can just like lock in and say that they're going to win 11 games. He's done pretty well in his starting quarterbacks have stayed healthy, but I guess we don't know how good Trey Lance is. <laughs> He's done pretty well when Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, has Jimmy G. Yeah. That's, <laughs> there's been some other starting quarterbacks in there before him yeah. that it wasn't great either. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a line of 11 and a half wins after they won 13 last season. So this is the one that seems a little crazy to me where like when they were rolling last year, they had Chris Godwin, they had Antonio Brown, and Mike Evans is like the one guy who's still there and still completely healthy. So like given that and their offensive line injuries, it, it seems like like yeah, Tom Brady is still there, probably, I guess. Um, but that, that seems high for me. So I, I'm gonna go under. Just the the chances of something strange <laughs> happening with Brady this year, uh, given what happened in training camp. Again, it's a lot of wins to get to. Uh, I think the the rest of the roster is not a bad roster beyond Tom Brady, but like that's basically projecting them as one of the best teams in the NFC. And I can't really get there. Yeah. I'm going to make it a clean sweep on the under here. Tennessee Titans, a line of nine and a half wins coming off 12 last season. Although, as you mentioned earlier, a Pythagorean record closer to 10 and seven. I will go under. I'm, I'm surprised it's this high where like, yeah, their, their advanced stats weren't that good last year. They lost Antonio Brown. Their, like, their offensive line was terrible last year. AJ and they didn't. No, did I say Antonio? Oh, yeah, I was still thinking <laughs> yes. AJ Brown. Um, They've also <laughs> lost. They, they didn't have Antonio Brown in the first yes. place, but they have lost yeah. him. Uh, their offensive line was terrible last year. They didn't really do anything to improve it. And then um, I, it was Harold Landry that just got hurt, right? So they, yeah. they're, like, it's really hard for to see them 
they're playing a bad division, but even still, I, I have a hard time seeing them get to the summer. I'm an under as well on the Titans. Yeah, we're going to be a clean sweep on this one. Football Outsiders has them projected for 7.9 wins on average. The Washington Commanders and Carson Wentz <laughs> round things out with a line of seven and a half wins. That's pretty low, given given that they play in the NFC. So I'll take the over. I'll, I'll bet on Carson Wentz. I mean, I went over on every single other NFC's team, so pretty much has to be an under for the Commanders. But you look at it, and is there anything about the Commanders adding Carson Wentz that makes you think that they're going to be... What did they win last year? They won seven. They won seven, that they're going to be better than they were last year. When to me, the Eagles are just as good, if not better, than they were last year. The Cowboys are probably slightly worse, but... uh, in general, you just look at this commander's team and it's kind of like, you know, maybe they're getting Chase Young back. It, they're just, they're not a, not a lot to excite you on offense from the commanders. I'm going under. I also am going under here to uh, get myself more even. Tristan still took 18 overs. I took 17 and Ben took 15. Ben, the pessimist. <laughs> ben, do you have any locks here? Um, Let's see. What, what was the Raiders line? That was eight and a half wins. Okay, I'll, I'll make under a lock. And the unders for Tampa Bay and Tennessee. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> All negative locks. <laughs> <laughs> well, just as we did with our offseason predictions, we'll, of course, be scoring this and coming back with the full results when we break down the season at, it, at its completion with Ben Always one of our favorite traditions, the bookending the season podcast, and glad we could do this again, even if for once it did not technically fall on Labor Day. Uh, and, and also I want to mention like the negativity. I, I, I have been feeling this recently, like being in Husky Stadium yesterday. Uh, preseason football doesn't give you that feeling that you're looking for, <laughs> right? Especially not now. You know, seeing these players, like preseason football is it's gotten even less fun than it was a decade ago. And I'm so excited to just get back to Lumen Field, right? Monday night, just thinking about this game, about how much fun it's going to be and any of the negativity around the Seahawks. Like, I, I get it. I understand. I'm part of it, right? But like being there, <laughs> being there and seeing the Seahawks play with so many players who were fans of and excited about, uh, I honestly can't wait for the season to start no matter what. And there is like, look, the Seahawks were a known commodity for a long, long, long time. And this is the first time in quite a while that we're going to see the roster turn over a little bit. I think things might start to look different over the next couple of years. And ultimately, as long as they don't end up in the, you know, Washington commanders, Indianapolis Colts territory at Carolina Panthers, right? You just as long as you don't <laughs> trade for Carson Wentz or Sam Darnold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baker Mayfield, I don't know, maybe. Uh, yeah, if at I no point we talk ourselves just... into it. I mean, I guess if he washed out in Carolina, maybe not. But, <laughs> but th- this could be the beginning of something very exciting for the Seahawks. E- even if they are bad this year, watching young players, getting excited about them, seeing them grow, I think it's going to be a fun season. And then also as we point toward the future, and that's what a lot of the season is going to be, is that pointing toward the future. You know, keeping track of where their record is, what these college quarterbacks are looking like. It'll be a more fun conversation than we've had a lot of the time where I think it, it may trend more fun than depressing, uh, even though it can feel like it's depressing at certain points. But I think focusing on those positives and what the Seahawks are building right now, it's going to be a fun year. 
and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And if not, there's still NFL Red Zone. <laughs> what a great note to finish on. Thanks so much, Ben, for joining us. As always, you can follow him at Ben B. Baldwin on Twitter. We mentioned the websites earlier, rbsdm.com, and check out the NFL Fast R app if you use R. So thanks so much for doing this. And again, look forward to uh, checking in on this at the season's end. Thanks for having me. You actually like Ichiro, though? Yeah. You have meaningful moments of your life that Ichiro was a part of. Yeah, I I, I went to I went to so many games during the like two, 2000, 2001, 2000, yeah, 2000, 2001 seasons because that was like senior year of high school, especially in the summer. I had like infinite time to do whatever I wanted. So yeah, safe Safeco Field, great place, much better than the Kingdom. Ichiro is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, nothing but good memories until that. Uh, playoff series against the Yankees that, that was like the last time I ever paid attention to baseball so I didn't have the Ichiro single-handedly ruining the Mariners in the 2000s or whatever whatever happened I, I think my problem is that I didn't care about the team for the entire time that Ichiro maybe not that he was a good player but like the year that Ichiro was exciting to to care about I hated the team so it's just like any positive feelings that I would have about Ichiro are just not present whatsoever. I'm surprised you like him though. Now, like it doesn't really make you didn't pay attention to the team that year, did you? No, I I actually I was if we're to be honest, I was with you on Ichiro during 2001. It's a subsequent appreciation, which I think Derek Zumsteg is actually like primarily responsible for it him being so excited about Ichiro all the time and in baseball prospectus and on USS Mariner. And he, he sold me. <laughs> Kevin admits he was with me for a second. On <laughs> I, but only at the very end of this pod that I'm going to bury after. <laughs> I, I seriously, I went back and I watched highlights. I was like, I want to be sold on this. Everybody else seems so excited about Ichiro. I want to be sold. And I'm like, that's a single up the middle that the shift would have taken care of. Like every play, every this play is the single dumbest one. But I it's, love to see Ichiro in the shift era. The guy with the best back in baseball. Like, oh, how can I figure it out? I can't. I'm allowed to hit. You'd even just bunt down the third baseline every time. Is there any good lefty that teams just do not shift with? I, I that's that's asking a lot of baseball yeah. knowledge. Of yeah, I. 20 years ago was when I stopped paying attention. <laughs> but isn't it fun to like watch him run out something that should have been an out and be like, ha, we got you again. <laughs> That's a great feeling. <laughs> yeah. To, to be the two, out, two outs, one runner on first, and the inning ends. <laughs> <laughs> That's full throw. Yeah. so bad. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's it's a shared problem that each row... I mean, you stopped watching after 2001, Ben, so you only have the positive memories. As, as far as you know, the Mariners were just good forever after that. <laughs> I, I assume they kept making the playoffs. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I, I, I was also shocked that people didn't realize that I, I, I feel like I've talked about Ichiro a lot on the podcast. Yeah, you have. Until, until I specifically like laid it out, that was... That was when people got angry. There, there was definitely an Ichiro segment before, right? I feel like this is not the first one, so I'm surprised at the. Well, I think he was when he came back. I mean, I don't know if maybe more people who like the Mariners are listening to our podcast oh, now because we're talking about the Mariners. Yeah. I don't know. 
I mean, the lookout landing pod was the main place where crimes against each other were committed. <laughs> Nobody said anything, right? There was at least one person in the comments. <clears throat> Whatever. Okay. I really am going to bed <laughs> this right. time. Have but a good night. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for doing it. <laughs>